0: 2 Timothy chapter number 4 we come to a passage of scripture of course that is very familiar to most and uh, most that are saved and most that have been in church any length of time we come to a passage of scripture that uh, from the beginning to the conclusion of this chapter is pretty well known especially the first 8 verses in particular uh, we do know that this is the last chapter of the last book of the uh, that uh, of uh, the last chapter of the last book that the apostle Paul uh, penned during his life, the last book, the last chapter of the book that he wrote uh, on this planet. Uh, shortly after Paul lays down the pen after uh, writing the last word of verse number twenty-two, the final amen of Paul being used in the hand of God to uh, bring forth and to pin down uh, Scripture as he. He was led of the Holy Ghost of God. Paul would be martyred for the faith. He would he would seal his faith in his own blood. His, his uh, head would be removed from his shoulders by way of the capital punishment of beheading, and he would lay down his life as a testimony of a servant that's willing to check out of this world full of the glory of God in their soul, doing the work that God has for them to do. Paul, as an aged man, Man, gives his life for the cause of Christ. But before he does, he gives us a final word uh, from his heart. And when, uh, by, by way of uh, preservation of the scriptures, it has come to us in its context. It was written to uh, his young protege in the ministry, Timothy. And on Wednesday nights, I think we have uh, learned a lot about this young man to whom Paul is writing. But yet, in this last book, we find him, first of all, in in verse number 1 through 5 by way of introduction he is telling uh, Timothy what he needs Timothy to do and in verse number 6 through 8 we find that Paul is telling Timothy why he needs him to do it. In verse number 1 through 5 he talks about how Timothy needs to preach the Word. He gives him a charge to preach the Word of God, not to preach his opinion, not to preach his thoughts, not to preach the popular uh, maxims of the day, but rather to preach the Word of God. Amen. And by the way, I'll just say this, if we are to preach anything in this day, it ought to be the Word of God. Amen. And I know the way that I preach and the things that I preach may not be the most popular. Amen. But one thing, if you can accuse me of anything, I want, it to, I want everyone in this congregation, amen, before I check out of this world to be able to accuse Josh Lawson of being a Bible preacher. Amen. I may not be the most entertaining. I may not be the most well spoken. Amen. I may not have the most charisma of anyone that there may be. I know there's plenty of other preachers that can do what I'm doing this morning better than I can but I hope that no one in here will say that they've ever been shortchanged the Word of God or that there's ever been anything in my life and in my ministry here as the pastor of this church that has taken precedent to the preaching of the Word of God. We need it. Amen. In our day just as much as we ever have and Paul is telling Timothy that in their day, amen, they needed the Word of God. And Paul is charging Timothy. He says in verse number one, before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm giving you this charge, knowing that God the Father's watching me. Give you this charge, knowing that God the Son is watching me. Give you this charge. And when he goes on to say, who shall judge the quick and the dead? at His appearing in His kingdom, He said, I know the one that's going to judge me for everything that I've done, and everything that I've invested in you, and every message that I've preached. He's the one watching me give you this charge, and I'm doing it with full knowledge of that. And Timothy, I'm telling you, before God, you need to preach the Word. You need to be instant in season, out of season, amen. You need to preach it when they like it. You need to preach it when they don't like it. You need to preach it when it's popular. You need to preach it when it's not popular. You need to preach it when you feel like it. You need to preach it when you don't feel like it. Hey Amen. I need you to preach the word of God. He goes on to say, "I need you to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine." Hey Amen. Preaching is not meant to be. I just shot off of the hip. It is to be done with a spirit of long suffering and tenderness. Amen. The rebuke and the reproof is something that long suffering is going to be needed for if it's going to help the people of God. Amen. And it's not to be a shoot off the hip. It's not just to be, I'm going to open my mouth wide and let God just fill it with whatever. Amen. I'm not going to just get up half cocked and not studied. Amen. Paul said, Timothy, you need to make sure when you preach, you preach with doctrine too. Amen. You need to be a student of the Bible. You need to have the Word of God and the teachings of the Word of God. Amen. Br- uh, uh, to bring forth every time you open your mouth. Amen. And uh, I've told this congregation before uh, but Brother Robert Jarvis, one of my Bible college teachers, he used to talk, he taught us uh, her- hermeneutics uh, and homiletics. Amen. He taught us about the art of preaching and he taught us about how to r- study the Word of God in order to preach. Amen. And so in doing so he would quote that verse and talk about how these preachers will say, amen, they'll claim that verse out of the Psalms and say where the Bible says, "Open thy mouth wide, and I'll fill it." And they'd use it as a, uh, they'd use it as a, as a way of saying, "If I study, or if I write anything down, or whatever, I'm not preaching in the Holy Ghost." Amen. I'm just supposed to open my mouth. Amen. Open up to wherever. Open my mouth, and God will give me whatever uh, He wants me to say. Amen. And Brother Jarvis used to say this. Amen. He used to tell us. He said, "Boys, if that's the mentality you have, Amen, you'll open your mouth wide." and God will be faithful to fulfill the promise of that Word. He will fill it, but He won't fill it with doctrine, and He won't fill it with a Bible message. He'll fill it with hot air. Amen. That's what He used to tell us. Amen. Paul tells Timothy here that you need to preach, you need to rebuke, exhort, reprove with all long-suffering and all doctrine. Amen. And he tells them here, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And I believe, as one preacher said, the times that will come, I believe, have come. Amen they not endure sound doctrine but heap to them Uh, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables but watch thou he says in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry here's what Paul is telling him you need to do these things because they will not hear the word of God that time is coming amen you need to have deposited enough into this world and into your congregation that when that time comes they will have sound doctrine, amen to where they can live here and in the rest of the world, they may not endure it they may not listen to it, but those that will will have something to listen to and to live by, and verse number six through eight, we find the reason why he tells him to preach the word and he charges him to do it he tells him to preach in season and out of season he tells him to reprove, rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, he reminds him that the time will come where the, those in the world will not not endure sound doctrine. The reason why He tells them that He needs to be watchful. He needs to be vigilant in everything He does in the ministry. The reason why He tells them He needs to endure afflictions. The reason why He tells them, amen, that He needs to do the work of an evangelist. Don't just preach a sermon but preach the gospel, amen, to make full proof of His ministry, to make sure His ministry is everything that God would have it to be. Verse 6-8, through Paul tells us why. He tells Timothy these things, and the reason is, is because Paul said, I'm telling you to do all of those things, because those are things that I've been doing, and that God's told me to do, but I'm about to check off the same, and when I'm gone, there still needs to be somebody preaching the Word of God, and standing for the truth, and rightly dividing it in the ears of the people of God. Amen. Notice verse 6, he says, for I am now ready to be offered. The word for there means because. I need you to do this because I'm ready to be offered in the time of my departure, talking about his departure from this life, from the land of the living, from this world, amen. He said the time of my departure is at hand. Notice he says in verse seven, I have fought a good fight in other words he's saying that at this point in my life there's not much left before me there's not many days of labor before me I'm at the time of my departure Paul knew as he writes this letter from prison he knew that he was going to lose his life at the hand of the Roman Emperor Nero he knows that that's not in the far, uh, far off future it's something that's very near he talks about how in preaching the word and in laboring and in making full proof of his ministry and in all of the things that he tells Timothy to do, in doing that he has been fighting a good fight. That the testimony of his life has been one that Paul fought a good fight. And he says this, I have finished my course, the road, the path, the course that God had for me. He said, I'm finished. There's nothing left for me to do, Paul is saying, other than to cross the finish line. He says, I have kept the faith. Because of that, verse 8, He said, "...Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing." Let me say this this morning. I want to preach this thought a little bit differently than we would normally preach this breaking it down and just simply seeing what Paul is saying here and making application thereby. But here's the way I want to preach this, and I feel led of the Lord to do so. When we come to this passage, we find Paul is telling Timothy what he needs him to do and why he needs him to do it. He is reminding him that his course is over and that Timothy's course in essence as far as now he is stepping into the role and stepping into the shoes of his mentor where he'll no longer be the preacher boy but he will be the pastor the man of God. He will be Paul's successor in the ministry. Paul tells him in the in his list of what he needs him to do in verse 1 through 5 he is telling him I have fought a good fight and now I I need you uh, to fight a good fight. However, through all of this, when Paul points back to the past, we are reminded of the kind of fight that Paul fought. And the kind of fight that no doubt we even see throughout 1st and 2nd Timothy, 2nd Timothy in particular, Paul has led up to this moment by giving Timothy instruction so that when he begins to enter into his fight, he'll know what to expect. Paul says, I have fought a good fight I have, in the past, finished my course. I have kept the faith, and through doing all of that, Paul lived out uh, experiences in his life that made him able to hand these experiences and hand these thoughts to Timothy and give him in a brief form uh, some some lessons, some words, amen, of wisdom from someone who's been there and. Done done that, but knows what to expect. So now he can tell uh, Timothy what to expect in his fight, the good fight of faith. So with that thought in mind, this morning and tonight as well, I want to preach on the thought, what to expect in the fight. What to expect in the fight as I see this this morning, I want to focus first of all on one aspect of Paul's ministry that we find elu- uh, uh, alluded to in verse 7, but also uh, displayed for us throughout First and 2 Timothy and other portions of Scripture as well that Paul uh, could expect in the fight. Notice verse number 7. Y'all won't believe this, uh, but But I want to preach really just on a, on a couple of words this morning, mainly today, throughout the day, just two words. Notice this, he said, "I have fought. I have fought." This morning, I want us to look at the word "fought." Tonight, I want us to look at the word have. This morning, I want us to look at the word fought and consider this. Notice verse number seven. He said, I have fought a good fight. Notice the word fault and the word fight. Amen. I'll say this this morning. Paul said I have fought. I've spent my life fighting. I have been a soldier in the army of the Lord. I have been someone that has had, uh, uh, that has uh, fought. Amen. And done so. And now I'm laying my armor down. Now I'm ready to cease my fight and hand the sword and the shield down to another generation. Amen. He said, I have fault. Here's the fault I want you to receive from that. If there if Paul said, I have fault, that means amen that he has had, that he has had to face an adversary. Can I say this? I don't think uh, this is complex at all this morning. I don't think we'll be very complex this morning or tonight. Y'all may say the preacher's being overly simplistic today. Amen. But as as complicated as I might have been, or at least as I heard I might have been a couple of Wednesday nights ago, y'all might be thankful for that this morning. Amen. Amen had some people the other Wednesday night, last time I preached in 1 Timothy, tell me they thought I was giving them a Bible college course instead of a sermon. Amen. When well, you preach through a book of the Bible, that happens sometimes. Amen. But notice this, I'll say this this morning, when Paul uses the word fight, he's letting us know that he has fought a good fight. And I'll say this, every fight that has ever been fought has been fought against an adversary. Without an adversary, it wouldn't be a fight. Without an adversary, there would be no fight. Amen. If there wasn't an adversary, amen, and you show up to a fight, amen, and the adversary doesn't show up, guess what? You're there by yourself. It's hard to have a fight with yourself, amen. I say, not only is it hard to have a fight with yourself, but if you're fighting with yourself, that's also pretty foolish, amen. But without an adversary, there is no fight. The opposition that makes a fight what it is, amen, uh, is the fact that there is someone to fight against. So this morning, I want us to consider the, what we are to expect in the fight, and as we think about what we are to expect in the good fight of faith that you and I, as Timothy, have been called to fight in, let me remind you, here's what we'll deal with this morning, that there are adversaries that we are to fight. If you're going to fight the good fight of faith, you can, you mark her down, friend, you can expect adversaries. So this morning I want us to look at a couple of adversaries. Notice with me this morning, first of all I'd like to say that we, there is an adversary of powers that we can expect to fight. Paul's letters to Timothy are filled with the warning of the powers that every Christian who desires to serve God will have to fight against. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter number four. Just a couple of pages to the left, 1 Timothy chapter number four. 1 Timothy chapter number four. Look with me in verse number one. These are in no particular order. 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of y'all believe that we're there this morning? The Spirit speaketh expressly. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking plainly in this scripture. He's saying, the Spirit of God is saying that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. Why are they departing from the faith? Notice what the Bible says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Can I remind you this morning that there are spirits all around us that will want to seduce not only those of you here this morning that do not know the truth, but want to seduce all of your loved ones to a place where they'll never get saved. There are are forces at work that want to damn the souls of men and women and have us to adopt the doctrines of devils. The Bible here says that the Spirit of God is telling us this that in the last days people will depart from the faith. They'll walk away from the things of God and the Word of God because they're giving heed to, they're, they're listening to, not the Word of God that produces faith, but the Word uh, from seducing spirits and the Word of the doctrines of devils. Paul told Timothy, I need you to preach, and I need you to preach with all long suffering Amen. Doctrine, talking about Bible doctrine. But here in the last days, people will trade Bible doctrine, amen, for the doctrines of devils, the doctrine of God for the doctrines of devils, amen. They'll be seduced, they'll be tricked, they'll be enticed thereby, and will walk away from the truth. There's no, there's no doubt that's the reason why our churches are so empty. Or at least are filled with folks that that, that are not truly born again. Amen. I would submit that even in this building this morning, there very well may be someone who's never been genuinely born again. I don't ever want to enter in a church service where I assume everybody's saved. It could be that what you've been listening to is a doctrine of devil and a seducing spirit trying to convince you how saved you are, amen, when you've never really been born again. When the Bible here in 1 Timothy 4.1 talks about how people will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, it is talking about a battle that is being waged, amen, waged against every person in this world. hall. There are forces at work that want to steer you from the truth. Right. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Of course every Bible student in here knows where we're headed. The most famous passage about spiritual warfare in the New Testament. But 1 Timothy 4.1 talks about a battle that is being waged against the entire world and everyone in it. But Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 12 speaks specifically about a battle that is being waged against believers. Not just the entire world in mass, but against believers. Notice what the Bible says here. Verse number 10, finally, my brethren, Paul here speaking to those that are his brethren in the faith. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. By the way, you cannot be strong in the Lord that is not your Lord. And you cannot uh, have the power of His might unless He is in you through the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse number 12, or excuse me, verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the trickery of the devil. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Why do we need the armor of God that is described in this famed chapter? Why do we need to put on the whole armor of God? Why do we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? It is because you and I that are saved by the grace of God are in a wrestling match. We are in a war. We are in a battle against someone and His forces that are our adversaries in the good fight of faith. Amen. You're not going, if you're saved by the grace of God. You will not leave this world without having been in a battle. Can I say this? If you want to leave this world and have it said to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it's time to stop sitting on our beds of ease. It's time to put on some combat boots and the the armor of God, amen, and realize that we have a very real enemy. And he doesn't just target the world to free you. He is targeting the believer, amen, with an intensified force. If you're saved, he has a bullseye on your back. He wants to trick you. He doesn't just want to trick the world and deceive the world to depart from the faith and the truth of the Word of God, but He wants to trick you. Amen. He may not get your soul if you're saved by the grace of God. Amen. Your soul is in the hand of God. Amen. And I'd like to see the devil try to take your soul out of the Father's hand. Amen. The Bible said it is impossible. However, He may not be able to take your soul, but He'll want to take everything else you have in your spiritual life. When he says, for we wrestle not, the we there is talking about believers. Lost, people that are lost, they don't wrestle against the devil. There's no, they may be deceived, but the reason why that, that, that their deception is so sad. It's because they will in their seducing, in their being told doctrines of devils, they will submit themselves every time to what the devil tells them. It takes the Spirit of God to come in and counterbalance everything that the devil is doing in order to save a soul from certain destruction in hell, to take a child of God, uh, to take a, a child of the devil and turn them in to a child of God. There's gods at work and gods fighting to make that transaction take place. But left to ourselves, someone that's lost, there's not a wrestling match going on you'll give in to your flesh, you'll give in to your father the devil and what he wants for your life. It's only when the spirit of God takes up residence in you and it becomes Christ in you the hope of glory that there begins to be a battle that takes place between the flesh and the spirit, between the natural man and the spiritual person. Amen. There's only only when you're saved does that happen. But the Bible says for the Christian, you are in a wrestling match. You are a target of the devil, amen, and you need to worry, you need not worry about your fights here on the the earth, amen, but there's something bigger that's after you. You know, most of the time in our Baptist churches, we have more friendly fire than anything. We fight each other more than we do anyone else. When I was dating myself again, when I was a younger child, I remember I was about, probably about ten years old. I remember the story of a pro football player that entered into the military, y'all remember Pat Tillman. I was ten years old when that happened, 2003. And I know y'all laugh at me every time I do that. And. One of the saddest things was not that he was a well-known football player that entered into the military and got killed, but one of the saddest parts about it was how he got killed. Y'all remember how he got killed? It was Friendly Fire that did it. Can I say one of the reasons why so many people are being hurt in our churches? It's not necessarily just because the devil has a bullseye on them, but a lot of times the devil will use believers to help him out in his endeavors to get people out of church, to get people away from the things of God. One of the saddest things about Pat Tillman is a friendly fire, but even but, but it, as sad as that is, it's amazing that people who call themselves believers will fight each other more than we do the enemy that we really do have. We this this church and, and like I said I wish I wish we had more of our church family here with us this morning. And it's just when when folks are out you just feel like your family's not whole, Amen. When the church is full there's an energy because the families. Every Sunday morning is a family reunion around the house of God, Amen. And, and uh, you know it to to think about how much friendly fire there is in our churches where we'll shoot our own and we'll pick off our wounded. It's a sad thing to consider that as a testimony of most churches and most believers when we should realize that here at this church, amen, we're not adversaries one with the other. We're family. We're friends. We are, biblically, we are fellow soldiers. One of the worst things you can do is shoot a soldier, uh, take out a soldier that is on your side of the conflict. Not only are you losing strength in numbers, but you have betrayed one of your own, one of your own compatriots. We ought to take our fight to the enemy, not to each other. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I believe that would include not only flesh and blood, part of humanity, but also part of the body of Christ. But we need to remember that who we're wrestling against and who we're fighting against is principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual weakness in high places. So in 1 Timothy 4:1, he speaks about a battle that's being waged against everyone in the world. In Ephesians 6:12, he's talking about a battle that is being waged against every believer and every child of God collectively. He says we as brethren wrestle against the powers that be together. Now go with me to 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. Chapter number five. I want you to lay eyes on these verses this morning. <clears throat> 1 Peter 5, verse number 8. 1 Timothy 4, 1, a battle that's being waged against the entire world. Ephesians 6, 12, a battle that is waged against every believer collectively. But here in 1 Peter 5, 8, we, we see about a battle that's being waged against every believer individually. Notice what the Bible says here, verse number 8 be sober, be vigilant. Because you're adversary the devil. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Look at verse 9 whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Do you see the word your there in verse number 8 talking about your adversary the devil? While this applies to the body of Christ at large I believe that the Apostle Peter here is reminding us under the inspiration of God that the adversary is not just uh, just after the sheepfold of our Savior, the body of Christ, as a collective unit, but what the devil wants to do. Notice the wording here in verse number 8. Notice the wording here. He says that the adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me ask you this question. How many of y'all like National Geographic? How many of y'all like the the animal planet or something of that nature? Like to study wildlife and, amen. I love to read about stuff that goes on in the Sahara Desert and all. The, I love lions. If I can't go to a zoo and see the lions and then be awake, I'd almost just assume not go. Every time I go, they're asleep. Amen. And we don't. We don't get there late. I don't. Under, I guess I get them after their after lunch nap. I guess. By the time we get everybody loaded up, and headed to the zoo, amen. I guess they've been feeding them all day, amen. And every single one of them is comatose by the time we walk by. One time, we went to the zoo, and I saw we saw a lion. And uh, right as we walked away, it let out the loudest roar you've ever heard in your life. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I almost thought he was out. I really did. The way he roared, I thought he would got out and I was about to head for the hills. Amen. That'd be a good meal for a lion. Amen. So I, amen. I don't, I don't want to test that. Let me ask you this, those of you who like to study those things, have you ever seen a single lion go up to an entire herd of anything and try to take it out all at the same time? It may want to, it may have a desire to, but a lion is smart enough to know that he will be more successful and that his life is better preserved if he targets one usually an elderly one a sickly one or a young one a child amen, man that's not developed a whole lot yet it's usually not going to take on a lion that's as big and strong and buff as he is usually an elderly man or a child an elderly male lion or a child so the ones they'll go but they will single them out most animals of prey will try to wait for the animal that lags behind the pack or the one that can't keep up to, to the rest of the group and that be the one that they stalk and they stalk and they devour the lesson of this verse is that while the devil has a plan and the wiles that were talked about in Ephesians chapter number 6 that talked about how we and the brethren, amen, are wrestling against the forces of evil and against the devil and the principalities and all of the demons of hell that are attached under his authority while he has wiles which literally means military strategies, he has a battle plan, he has a military strategy for every one of his enemies. Amen. Every child of God, the ones that he's going to go after and devour. He has a plan for you as an individual. He wants, Brother Tommy, he doesn't just want to destroy your family. He wants you. And if he can get you, he knows he can get them. And so if he gets you out of the way, then he might be able one by one to pick off the rest of your family. Don't think that the devil is not satisfied with taking the grand scheme of his plan and applying it to one individual. The devil is not concerned necessarily with how many he can take out at one time. What he wants is to take some out. The devil is not very content with going to hell by himself. He realizes because of the pride that got him kicked out of heaven, the sin that cast him out of the favor of God. In Isaiah chapter number 14, he realizes what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve causing God's choice, uh, love, his son that he created uh, to, to, uh, to fall into sin. By the way, that's not heresy. The Bible does call Adam the son of God, creation of God, offspring of God. He's not, he, he knows that because he did all of the things that he did to make him who he is, to make him the devil, to make him Satan, that he's headed for a lake of fire. He knows that. He has done everything that He can throughout the thousands of years of human existence to try to stop, to try to slow down, to try to impede what He knows is God's plan for His existence to cast Him and death and hell into the lake of fire forever. He knows that day's coming, but He's not satisfied with going alone. When you enter into the first couple of pages of your Bible, you will find the devil actively trying to make sure that he does not enter into his destiny, his demise by himself. From the Garden of Eden, if he could have Eve, amen, he wanted Eve. And by the way, he picked her off when she was alone. This isn't part of the message, but I will remind you of this this morning. We need to be careful. What we do and what we allow to come into our, to influence us, to come into our minds and into our heart when we're alone. Amen. The most, the most, the most uh, at danger you are when it comes to the devil is when you're alone. He has a collective will for our life as believers, a plan, a strategy to destroy us, but he has an individual plan. And notice the Bible says, he is your adversary. The Bible says that we are to be sober. We are to be vigilant. We are to have our eyes wide open and be alert. We are to be on guard because we ought to know that he has an individual plan for our demise. He wants to devour you. You know what that word devour there means in your Bible? means to absolutely tear to shreds. It means to leave nothing left. It is like that lion in the, in the desert somewhere that's got a hold of the wildebeest or whatever it is and he's left the carcass laying there and he's walking off with an appendage. Nothing's left. It's been dismantled. It's been torn to pieces to where what you see when you see what he's got a hold of does not look like it did when he got a hold of it. Can I just remind you of this this morning? If you're not sober. And I'm not just talking about sober in terms of alcohol, I'm talking about alert. Amen. I will say, if you give yourself to drunkenness, amen, you won't, you won't be physically sober, but you also won't be spiritually sober. I think that's also one, that's one of the vices that is causing such spiritual decay in our society. And it's always called spiritual decay. You study history, and it's called spiritual decay in every society that has held it. Amen. There's a red, that's another message for another day but there's a reason why God says don't even look at it when it's fermented Amen. Amen but tells us to be sober, tells us to be vigilant, to be wide awake, to be alert, to have our our, our senses tuned in and to be watchful. And the reason for that is that's because if the devil gets a hold of you in a moment of weakness, and he gets a hold of you and begins the process of trying to devour your life. Amen. By the way, Peter is speaking this to Christians. He wants to devour you. And he wants to leave your life not even a shell of what it looked like before he got a hold of you. There are people in churches, there's, there have been people in this church that they could look back at their life and say, I don't know how I got from there to here. I don't know how this happened in my life. I don't know how this took place. I don't know how this, how all of what I'm experiencing now has come to pass. I don't know why my life is in shambles, preacher. I'm telling you this morning from the Word of God why our lives get messed up that way. It's because we give the devil a foothold. We're not sober. We're not vigilant. We're not paying attention. And in a moment of weakness or in a moment of aloneness or in a moment where the devil thinks he can get in, he will. And he will absolutely leave no traces of your life before he got a hold of you. <clears throat> Remember, Ephesians chapter number 4 And verse number 27 tells us how powerful our adversary is when it tells us in Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. Here's what giving place to the devil means. Giving him an inch, giving him a, a gap in the fence of your life. I'll close with this illustration this morning. I've got other things to preach, thought I was going to get out of the adversaries, but we'll come back tonight. That was my plan anyway. Let me say this, I've been studying this week in addition to this message, I've been studying Luke chapter 15. And I've been studying about all three of the aspects of that parable of lost things that's given. The very first one that is talked about is the sheep. It becomes lost because it goes astray. And one of the things that I studied about sheep told me that there are three different ways, and I'm not going to get into the three this morning, I'm just mentioning one, but there are three different ways that a sheep would typically become lost and go astray. And here is something that's very interesting about the sheep that goes astray. A sheep that goes astray does not go astray at the fault of the shepherd. Never does. If you go astray, you'll never be able to blame God for it. It never goes astray at the fall of the shepherd. Here's why. The shepherds make meticulous efforts everywhere they go to put a hedge or to the reason why they call a group of sheep being put, you know, a flock of sheep being put into a sheep fold is because the shepherd will find a cave, put them in it, and build a wall or will find a, a place of ground where it is hedged in by greenery and he'll bring the sheep in to where there is a, always a barrier between the sheep and the rest of the world around them. The shepherd stays vigilant and he stays awake to make sure that the sheep cannot get loose. However, there are times where a sheep will notice that there is a hole in the hedge, or that there is a weakness in the structure that the shepherd built, and its desire for the outside of the sheepfold for the food or the or what may catch its eye on the outside on the other side of the sheepfold will cause it to be tempted enough to to press at that place to try to um, try to take advantage of that weakness and then when it gets through it'll wander off and if there's anything about a sheep that sheep will die without a shepherd. It cannot survive on its own. And there's a great picture of our Lord and salvation in that, but here's what I'm saying this morning when the Bible talks about neither give place to the devil. God has given us things in our life that as his sheep will build up the hedge between us and the devil and the things of the forces of our adversary and the world, the flesh, and the devil that want to pick apart our life. He has given us a way, given us a barrier to protect us. But you and I can find a place and give that place to the devil to come in. Two, allow the devil to, to know how to get to you to where he can devour you. Don't give place to the devil. Why? Because he's strong enough, he will absolutely d- destroy you. There's the devil, the, the demons of hell, amen. 1 John 4 says this, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try or test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out in the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Y'all listen to me this morning. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God and this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now is already in the world ye are of God little children and have overcome them talking about the adversary of powers in this world because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can I remind you this morning if you're ever going to have a hope to have victory and to have protection against the adversary of the powers and forces of hell against your life you have got to know that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. That's more than a cute saying it's more than a quaint saying it takes God to defend yourself against the devil. It takes the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the things of God and the house of God yes, sir. to build up an appropriate hedge. And it also takes your personal will to let God's hedge stay strong in your life and you won't volunteer a hole for the devil to come into your life. Adversary of powers. Tonight we'll look at some other ones. Let me say this, there's a very real adversary against your life. He doesn't want you to succeed in the things of God. He doesn't want you to be a faith-filled Christian. He wants you to be a faith-forsaken Christian. He wants you to, to, while you may be saved, He wants you to live as if you're not Never, never spend time in anything that will strengthen your faith and strengthen your life so that the so that the door to the sheepfold to where the devil can have access to you will be wide open and he can just come into your life and you've given him a place, you've given him a residence, you've given him a place that only belongs to him in your life. It's not what we need. What to expect in the fight of faith? You can expect an adversary of powers that's gonna come against you. The the forces, the powers of the darkness of this world, they're coming after us, and we need to know that we are to expect them, we are to watch for them, and we're to let God help us get the victory over them. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.